word and reminding us of what what the Lord has waiting for us. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you have prepared for those who love you. And Father, though we cannot see it yet, Father, we believe because of thy word. We believe that it is so. And so, Father, with that hope in our heart, Lord, encourage us this day once again until we reach our heavenly home. Speak now through thy word again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 132. Psalm 132 this morning. As you're turning there, by the way, I do want to mention that the next Sunday is the fifth Sunday of the month. And anytime we have a fifth Sunday of the month, we call it Family Sit-Together Sunday. And so the kids basically sit together uh, with parents. Now, the young ones still go down, but uh, uh, it will be family together. And that is the time that we are blessed to hear Brother Nick come and bring God's word to us. So he'll be preaching next Sunday, all right? So we hope you'll come and, uh, and be a part of that. I'm always excited when Nick gets a chance to uh, share from the pulpit. And so, continue, so be praying for him this week. Well, as we come to Psalm 132, we continue our series, A Study in the Psalms. We're kind of heading down the home stretch here. But I wanted to do another, <clears throat> another song of ascent, as they're called. Psalm 132 is part of the list of psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. And those are the psalms from 120 to 135. And those 15 psalms in here were, the, as you recall, we shared this last time, these were uh, songs that were sung by the Jews as they made their journey to Jerusalem from all over the land. And they would come to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the feasts, the annual feasts, such as Passover. And so the journeys were long. The journeys, they had to spend the night out in the wilderness and, and dangers. We talked about that. So we come to one of these other songs of ascent. And this particular psalm is longer than the other ones. The other ones are much shorter, but this one has, has 18 verses. But what we want to do is... Uh, break this psalm up into two sections, okay? So it's, it, it helps us understand better when we break this up into two sections. And because of the, the number of verses in it, we are going to read the two sections, uh, the, the verses uh, following one, one another, and, and then we will go from there. So the first section here it rem will remind us about David's promise that he made to God to find a place where God, God's presence can inhabit. And in, back then, of course, you recall that, that the, the uh, Israelites were given the Ark of the Covenant, were told to build this Ark of the Covenant, which would represent the 
presence of God. Now, we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant in a, in a little bit here. But first, the first part of this psalm speaks, the, the psalmist is writing on behalf of David and asking the Lord to remember David and all he did in his desire to build a temple and find a place to house the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, as it were. So let's look together, verses 1 through 9. Read along with me, if you would. Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all his affliction. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber in my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. A dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the field of Jair. Let us go into his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Notice he mentions the ark. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy godly ones sing for joy. It is believed by many of the good Bible scholars that Solomon wrote this psalm because it is someone who is speaking of David and asking the Lord to remember David. Not only what David did for the Lord, but reminding God, you promised David something. And so it is believed if as we read this, it, it fits um, the, the description of, of, of what Solomon would pray, one of Solomon's prayers. In fact, part of this, uh, this psalm was actually mentioned at the dedication of the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple he had built to the Lord. And so, but here we have, as you can see, Solomon is asking the Lord, to remember David and all his afflictions. Because David's heart desired that God would have a home. Now we know that, that the Lord is everywhere. David knew that, that God is in every place. But he told the, the, the Israelites to build what they called the Ark of the Covenant. And this would be the place where God said, I will meet the high priest there. So it was actually the meeting place. So, so anyone that, that thought of the Ark of the Covenant uh, knew when it was in the tabernacle or in the temple that the presence of God, they believed, dwelt there because that's where he would meet with the high priest concerning the sacrifices for the sins of the nation. But we want to kind of look at this and, and look back uh, a little bit on some of the uh, events that took place. Turn to 2 Samuel 6 with me, if you would. 2 Samuel 6. Now here, again, the psalmist is writing about David's desire 
to build a house, a temple. But he noticed the first verse, he said, uh, he's talking about David's afflictions. But if we go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel 6, we will find verse 6. Now, here's that account where David has just finished a battle against the Philistines. Okay, the Philistines had stolen the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. But then David won a victory, and they went searching for the Ark, and they found it. And that's what we read back in Psalm 132. We read it there. They found it in the town of Ephrathah. Now, that word Ephrathah is the early name for the town of Bethlehem, the city of David. And then they went further as they were looking for it. They found it in the field of Jair, J-A-A-R. And we read that in Psalm 132. The psalmist uh, refers to that. So we have David finding the ark, and he decides to bring it back to Jerusalem. And so look, look with me now, verse, uh, verse 6. But they came to the threshing floor of Nacon. Yuza reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. So I want you to picture this. David found the ark. The ark is holy. It represents the presence of God. And nobody, nobody, God said, nobody touches my ark. This is a holy piece, sacred. And so they're, they're bringing it back on a cart. And this man, Yuza, is walking beside the ark. And as he's walking beside the ark, suddenly the oxen stumbles. And suddenly the, the, uh, the wagon just... Uh, tilts a little bit and and suddenly he sees the ark move and why he we would think that he was doing something noble so he put out his hand to kind of steady the ark on the wagon but in doing so he it was a, a sign of, of uh, disrespect to the Lord and irreverence. And we see that here in verse 7. And the anger of the Lord burned against Yuza. Okay. Now remember, this is Old Testament. This is how God was dealing with his people. He wanted to let them know uh, that w- w- when he laid down the law, it was to be followed. And God struck him down there for his irreverence. There it is, his irreverence. And he died there by the ark. Now, this shocked David and everyone else. But there must have been something in Yuza's heart that he thought, oh, he knew that he couldn't touch the ark. But to God, this was deliberate sin, even though it looked like he was going to try and steady the ark. Look at David's response, verse 8. And David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Yuza, and that place is called Perez Yuza to this day. 
So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it into the house of Obedidim, the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidim, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his household. So David says, I'm leaving it here. Um, this is representing the presence of the Lord, but I don't want to go near it. And so he left it at this guy's house. And the Lord blessed this man and his family because he was watching over, over the ark. But the ark, again, I want you to remember the psalmist is, is uh, concerned in reminding the Lord in Psalm 132 that David's heart was pure. David's heart was, was, was desiring to build a place, a shelter, a place for the Ark of the Covenant, which would be considered the presence of God to Israel. And so drop down to verse 17. Then they finally, he finally did go and bring the Ark. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So David built this tent for the ark. There was, of course, no temple yet. But David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And he would, this would be where the presence of the Lord would dwell. And so if you'll go now to verse 1, chapter 7. Now it came about when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within Tense. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your mind for the Lord is with you. What's David talking about here? David had his, his palace built. He was living in luxury in his cedar palace. So beautiful. But he couldn't sleep at night. And he paced all night because here was the ark of of the covenant, the symbol of the presence of God in a tent. And David's enjoying the luxuries of being a king. And this grieved his heart. And I have to ask myself, what grieves my heart when it comes to understanding the presence of the Lord? Do I, do I grieve when I feel the Lord, Lord's name is being used in vain? Do I grieve when I see someone who, who names the name of Christ, but they, they basically are uh, uh, even blaspheming the Lord? And today, the name of Jesus, again, you hear his name is used more in prof as a word of profanity than almost any other word. And that tells you something that the people uh, hate Christ 
and hate, hate his, the God of the Bible. But we have here the David's desire to build. But then God sends an answer to David before he builds this temple. Verse 4. But it came about in the same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even a tabernacle. So even God saying, I was there in that tabernacle. Wherever you set up the tabernacle, I was there, David. You know, that's where I was dwelling. Verse 7, wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? In other words, God is waiting for his people to build him a house, a temple. Therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, verse 8, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great nation like the names of the great men who are on the earth. And I will, verse 10, I will also appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly, even from the day that I commanded the judges to be over the people of Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants. And now at this point, God is, is giving a promise to David, which we're going to see the psalmist then brings forth. David made a promise. He's saying, I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to build you a house for your presence. That's my desire. And so God is honoring David with that desire, although he will not let David build it. You remember who's going to build it? Solomon. Yes, his son, David's son. But here, God gives this promise through Nathan to David. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 12, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Here the Lord is speaking of Solomon. He, verse 13, Solomon, shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, which would, of course, mean the throne of David as well, because that's what it is. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. 
And here, key verse, verse 16. And your house, David's house, and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. God has promised David that you and your descendants are going to reign forever. And of course, this also speaks of the future when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was to come, is one day going to reign in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and he is going to come back and he's going to reign over all the earth and you and I are going to reign with him. And then all these prophecies will be fulfilled. And David's descendants will reign again in that day. But I wanted to you to see the importance of, of uh, what David desired. David desired in his heart. Go back with me now to Psalm 132. Go back to Psalm 132. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Ark of the Covenant... And we won't take time to turn to it now, but if you want to read up on God's directions given to Israel to build the Ark of the Covenant, you'll find it in Exodus chapter 25. So go there on your own. But there it describes, God gives the description of how he wants this Ark built, because this is going to represent his presence. And God wanted it a specific way, covered in gold, with the cherubim, two cherubim on top, facing one another. And I believe we have a picture. I have a picture of it to put up here of the ark, a picture of a, a replica made. There's what the ark looked like. It was about, uh, it was only four foot long, about, and then three feet high, three feet wide. But and notice the cherubim facing one another. This is exactly how God told them to make the ark. This is the way I want it, God said. And then he said, and you will put a place in the middle on the top of the ark there. And that circle there, it would be called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And of course, that seat was the place where the high priest, the day of atonement, would come in to the Holy of Holies. Remember that there was the great curtain. Behind it was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant rested in the tabernacle. No one could go through there except the high priest. And so the high priest once a year would go in and he would take the blood of a spotless lamb. And of course, he would take that, some of that blood and God said, what I want the high priest to do is sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat right there whether you see that circle and this was God would accept this as a sacrifice for the sins of the people and he would forgive the nation but of course we know what this is this is all a picture of of what was to symbolic of what was to come the Lamb of God would be sent to earth and he would die on a cross and his precious blood would be shed and the Lord Jesus' blood would, would be used by God to cleanse you and cleanse me of all our sin, of all our sin. And so David knew that this was 
the place where God wanted to meet man. But God came and he met you and he met me through the gospel, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As you heard the gospel, there was a point in many of you in your life where you came to understand what that cross was all about. You began to believe in the one who died on that cross, that he was the son of God, and that he, he died willingly for your sins and my sins. And then he was buried. And then he rose again the third day, and he's alive forevermore. But his blood now cleanses sin for all who would believe. But I want you to see now, <clears throat> as Solomon, we believe again, this is Solomon writing, verses 1 through 9, he tried to remind God of what David's desire and his commitment to build a house for the Lord. But let's look at verse 10 through 18 now, if you would read along with me. He goes on, For the sake of David thy servant, do not turn away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth, from which he will not turn back of the fruit of your body, and I will set up your throne. So <clears throat> once again, he here is speaking of the Lord's promise to David that his descendants would rule and reign on the throne of David forever. Okay, verse 12. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. And we, we saw that, that that's, that was the promise of God concerning Solomon and any future descendants. They must keep my word, keep my covenant, and I will bless them forever on the throne. But now we come to a place where suddenly God is going to speak through the psalmist, through Solomon, as he writes. Because now God is once again speaking of his promise now concerning his habitation for all, all time. A permanent place of habitation. David's place of habitation, the temple that would be built. And by the way, if you recall, David, since God said, I want your son to build the temple, not you. What did David do? Do you recall? Oh, he went and got all the materials because God gave the, all the description of how the temple should be built. God's temple should be built. So David went and got all the materials, put everything in line, put it all together so that his son would have everything ready for when he would build the temple. And so David uh, was, did whatever he could to make ready that temple. But here God is going to talk about a permanent dwelling place. A permanent dwelling place. And the psalmist says, verse 13, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. For in my resting, for this is my resting place, how long? Forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her. Bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. And now he's talking about Zion, the city of Jerusalem. Her priests also, 
I will clothe with what? Salvation. And her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine own anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. And this is also a prophecy concerning this coming Messiah and his reigning on the throne of David. But I want you to grasp this. He's saying, the Lord is saying, you know, I found a place that I desire to be my habitation. And it's going to be my resting place forever. Where was that? Well, of course, the temple was built on Zion's Hill, the Mount of Zion, which was also called Mount Moriah. If you go to Jerusalem right now and you, you, you uh, go up where the old temple used to be, you are on, actually, they call it Mount Zion. God called it Mount Zion his mountain, but it was first the mountain of Moriah where Abraham was told by God to go and sacrifice Isaac. And I remember on a, a few trips to Israel that I made, I was, you're able to go into the mosque there, for there's a mosque sitting there, Mosque of Islam, and if you go in there, all, all the Muslims are kneeling, praying, worshiping, but tourists are allowed to go in. And they took us in there. And as you go in, suddenly you see this rock, large rock protruding out of the floor. And it's just sitting right in the middle of the mosque. And this is considered the top of Mount Moriah where the Muslims believe, and the Bible speaks of it, where Abraham sacrificed his son. So what did they, they built the mosque because they are from Abraham. And so they built a mosque around this point where they believed Abraham sacrificed his son. This, but this mountain is so, uh, is, is so uh, precious to God that God said, I'm going to be there forever. And when Jesus returns, right, when Jesus returns, where is he going to set up his throne? In Jerusalem, on that mount, there will be no mosque. That will be removed, and Jesus will, there will be a temple rebuilt, and the Lord Jesus will dwell in it and reign over all the earth with you and I, the church. We will reign with him. And so here, the, through the psalmist, God is saying, I am going to provide a, a, a place for me, a place of habitation. The first one was temporary, the tent, the Ark of the Covenant, the first temple. But there's coming a day where I'm going to have a permanent temple, a permanent dwelling place where I will dwell. But I, what I, how I want to tie this in, this is so beautiful how it, we tie this in to you and I today right now. Because how does this apply to me? You know, how, how can I do, what can I see in this that is spiritually applicable to my heart today? Well, look at this again in verse, think of your salvation. 
Think of you when the day you were saved, you became a child of God. Okay? As soon as you were saved and born again, you became a child of God. Do you recall what the scriptures say about what happened to you? Yes, what happened to you? The Holy Spirit came into your heart, into your mortal body, and he chose you as his habitation, as his temple. And God came and dwelt your heart. He found, as it were, a resting place in you and in me who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 14 again. And actually, look at verse 13. For the Lord has chosen. Now, instead of Zion, put your name in there. Put your name in there. For the Lord has chosen Larry. The Lord has chosen Tom. Lord has chosen Mary. He has desired it for his habitation. Do you see this? I want you to see the spiritual connection between for you and I. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. For I have desired it. And once he came to live within you and within me through his Holy Spirit. What happened? You suddenly had all the riches of Christ. You're suddenly blessed with things that you can't even imagine. Your salvation. Verse 15. I will abundantly bless her provision. Your provision. I will satisfy your needy with bread. He will provide all your needs. Her priests also I will clothe with what? Salvation. You were clothed with salvation. And once you were saved. The rest of verse 16. And her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. Once you were saved, you received a joy that you never experienced before because you now knew the God of the Bible. You knew Christ, his son, and you've been redeemed and you began to understand what he did for you on that cross. You believed by faith. And so suddenly you have a song of joy. You and I have been given a song of joy. We know from, we're not going to take time to turn to it, but John 14, as well as 15 and 16, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, we've been studying this in our men's Bible study. But the Lord Jesus, speaking to his disciples, spoke three times to them about a helper he was going to send. And that helper, also called the comforter was going to be who? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will send him to you when I leave. And he will dwell within you. Jesus said to them, when I leave, that spirit, my spirit, it's the spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit, is going to dwell inside you. He's going to take residence inside your body. And he says this three different times. But if you turn with me to Galatians chapter 20, as we come to a close, Galatians 20, and this particular verse, you know how people say, well, I have a life verse. Um, This has always been one that I've cherished. 
Galatians 2.20, Paul says to the church, I have been crucified with Christ. When Jesus died, he died for me. I died with him, my old self, my sinful self. And it is no longer I who live. Here's the key. But Christ, what? Lives in me. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Apostle Paul here speaks that his life is no longer the same. His life belongs to Jesus because Jesus lives in him. And there are different passages in 1 Corinthians and, and Colossians. Speaks, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about Christ living in me, in you. There it is. I want you to think about this, loved ones, this morning as you leave here. Paul said that you and I, our bodies are the what? Temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a living temple. You had David's temple, that early one. God said, I will dwell there. We have a future one. God says, I'm going to dwell with my people when my son returns to reign on the throne of David. But right now, do you know where Christ is dwelling, where God is dwelling? Within your heart, if you're a believer. That you have the living God, the God, the creator of the universe, the God of all things, who loved you enough that he says, I'm going to dwell inside you. I'm going to take your, your rotten, sinful, broken down body that's dying with decay because of sin, the curse of sin. But until you are taken to heaven and glorified and I raise you from the dead... I want to live inside you and I want to shine through you and I want to be glorified in your body. That's what Paul said. He said then, therefore, glorify God in your body. If I would just get a grasp of this truth, that Christ lives in me, that will change my whole life. That will change my perspective on what I do tomorrow how I treat my family, how I deal with others. When I know that this is the temple of the living God, and Jesus chose to live inside of me and inside of you through his Holy Spirit, and he wants to, he will empower you and strengthen you to be able to face anything that comes into your life because he will see you through and he will carry you through to the end. You are that temple. And one day he's going to raise that corruptible temple and he's going to glorify it. And you will be risen and with the Lord Jesus forevermore. We will all, as the bride of Christ, be gathered together. But as we leave here this morning, if you are a Christian today, you have given your heart to Christ. Focus your thoughts leaving here today on the truth. You are a temple of the living God, your body. 
And he is in there and he wants to live through you. And what is he trying to do by living inside you and me? Paul talked about it, Romans 8, 28, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That you might look more and more like Jesus, that I might look, look more and more like his son. How precious that thought is. But dear friend, if you're here this morning, you have never come to the cross. You have never come to accept Christ as your savior. And you've never had that experience of being born again spiritually. And so you can't say today that, that Jesus lives in your heart, that God actually lives in this, in your body. Because if you haven't accepted Christ as your savior, he doesn't. You are lost. You have an empty soul. But he's waiting to come in and save you. And he wants to come in and dwell you. And he, what he'll do, he'll do house cleaning. He'll come in and forgive you of every sin you've ever done. Past, present, future. And he will robe you in his righteousness and make you a child of God. But that's your decision. If you haven't made that decision, would you do it today? Become one of his. Let's bow for prayer. As we close... Before the Lord, heads bowed. Dear Christian, perhaps you've been living in such a way that you kind of just forgot. And it's so easy for us to do this. You, you, you forgot who lives inside you. That who is the one that's dwelling inside you and he has given you everlasting life and forgiveness of sin. It's a living God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit. He dwells inside you. That should make a difference in how we live. Would you just say, Lord, help me to live my life through this body in a way that would please you. Help me to always remember that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, your temple that you dwell in. And Father, help me to do that which would glorify you with this temple. Lord, I surrender my body again to you. And I give myself to you afresh. Do with me as you will. Would you make that decision, Christian? Make that commitment this morning. If you're not a believer this morning, I invite you to accept Christ right now. Don't wait any longer. But he wants to come in and save you. And if you have not accepted Christ yet, would you do it right now? I'm going to pray this simple prayer. And I'm going to, as I pray this prayer, would you pray along with me quietly in your heart? And by doing this, or a prayer like this, you're making a confession of faith to the Lord. And you're receiving him. You're telling him you receive him by faith. And you believe in his son. If you're ready to be saved, pray with me now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. And you took the punishment for my sin there. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away by the blood of Christ. I receive you today as my very own Savior.
Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. With heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ this morning, you are now a child of God. That very instant, you have received the Holy Spirit permanently into your heart, into your body. And now you are no longer the same, but you have a new, you are a new creation. You have a new spirit within you that was given to you by Christ. And the old one is put to death. It was crucified on the cross with Christ. We welcome you to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for decisions that were made this morning. Thank you, Father, that you chose these mortal bodies to be your temples on earth until our Savior returns. Father, may we live in such a way, Lord, that we will honor and glorify you through the way we live our lives. And Father, may these bodies, Lord, become more and more conformed to the image of Christ as our, your spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are yours. And we ask all this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen.